0: Hi, good morning. It's good to see everyone here today. Appreciate those that are visiting with us. Uh, we'd ask that you stick around after services for a minute and let us get to know you and visit with you a little bit. Back in April, we studied the topic of finding joy through trials. And I want to have a follow-up to that study this morning. So we'll briefly recap a few things that we talked about a few months ago. Uh, Starting in James 1, so James is uh, Jesus' brother here, and he, he says here in the first four verses, James, a bondservant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work and that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Throughout the study that we had a few months ago, We learned that James was specifically writing to a group of believers who were uneasy and concerned about what was going on in their lives. A group of believers who were going through a difficult time. A group of people who were not where they wanted to be. A group of people who desired something else other than the current situation that they were dealing with. And some of the main topics that we covered... Where that trials are not avoidable. James says that when we face trials, it's not if, it is when we face trials. And that's because James knows that these trials will come and we'll continue to face trials throughout our lifetime. Trials of various nature. We also learn that our trials have a purpose. James said that when you face these trials, find the joy. Find the joy. James watched his brother go through a wrongful trial and be sent to death. James watched his mother grieve for her son. James knew what trials were. He lived it, he experienced it, and he still counsels us to find the joy. We also discuss that God takes our trials and brings purpose out of them as they reveal the true nature of our faith. Maybe we look at the church family that raised us up and supported us during those trials. Thank God for a loving church family. Maybe we look back and we see our children and how they dealt with stress and emotional issues and we thank God for emotional strength. Maybe we look at a job loss and we find ourselves in a much better place six months from now. And we thank God for opportunities. Maybe we find ourselves struggling with relationships and we search the scriptures for for guidance and counsel. We thank God for his holy word. And although there are plenty of lessons that we learn from our trials, sometimes it seems like they stretch on forever and there's no break. They're hard. And some are harder than others. And sometimes we may wonder, where's God at? Where is He at? I need God. I've needed God for the past week, for the past month, for the past year. Where's He at? Does he not see me struggling? Does he not see how much I need help right now? Now it's important that we remember that God is with us and he has not left us. James reminds us that trials they have a purpose. They grow us and they make us stronger. They grow our faith. They teach us valuable life lessons and they help us to appreciate the times. When we're not going through trials, we appreciate those times even more. But God does not place this big, dark cloud over our head and say, go figure it out. You're on your own. It just doesn't happen. As we have approached the teenage years at my house, we have moved on from those, I have a boo-boo, please kiss it and make it feel better to the phase of deep discussions about life and boys and situations. And I tell you, discussions about social media and mean kids at school and those random messages and text messages to my girls wanting to trade pictures, I don't even know where that stuff comes from. They don't know where they come from. They just show up. I will take that knee any day of the week. So as we deal with middle school and high school drama, we talk and we guide and we correct and we discipline and we counsel and we encourage our girls to be an example. And at the end of the day, we tell our girls that although we correct them and we punish them and we restrict them and we take away their phones and we do things that they don't like, we tell them, that we are their biggest fans. We know that there are things that we can't do for them and that they're going to have to face these issues, and they're going to have to learn from their own mistakes. But we continue to remind them through criticism and through correction, but we remind them that we love you and that we are your biggest fan. And that's how I feel sometimes with God. I will face trials. I will face temptation. I will face sin, and I will have to learn how to deal with these situations throughout my life. But I know that God is pulling for me. I know that God saw a sinful and arrogant and self-absorbed person, and he still saw me and is willing to give his son for me. I know that God loves me, and I know that he is my biggest fan. So as we studied finding joy through trials. A few months ago, we're going to study finding peace through trials this morning, and we're going to study the end of Romans 8. We'll start out by reading these scriptures, and we're going to start out in the 31st verse, Romans 8 and 31, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Romans 8 and 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? nor things to come, nor hot, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we back up a few chapters into Romans 6, Romans 6 tells us that we are dead to sin. As we embark on that Christian lifestyle and we embrace Jesus Christ and his teachings, sin no longer has a hold on us. We have put that sinful life away, and we seek righteousness. And then Roman eight, Romans 8 eight reminds us that we have an inheritance and that God is pulling for us. He wants to see us succeed. He desires for us to understand that his love is unmeasurable. And as we study the end of Romans 8 this morning, remember that God loves you. God loves you. The trials in your life, God knows them. The hurt that you've been through and and are going through now, God knows your struggles. God knows where you've been. He knows what you're struggling with today. And he desires for us to find peace through Jesus Christ. Let's start in verse 31. Paul starts here in verse 31 with a question. What then shall we say to these things? Understand that this section of scripture it comes after all of this teaching and instruction that, uh, that Paul has been giving. So when he says these things, he's referring to the items that he's already covered. Things that, that were discussed in, in scriptures that we didn't read this morning. He's referring to items that have already been covered, the things that he's teaching. And a few highlights of those things that he had discussed are, are these topics here. In Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, meaning there is no criticism or disapproval for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 and 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Romans 8 and 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed, indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. As children of God, we are heirs of God. And then Romans 8 and 26, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses intercedes on our behalf. So Paul begins this section of scripture saying, what then shall we say to these things? So those were just a few of the examples of those things that he had discussed. And he follows that with this powerful, reassuring question, which we usually translate into a statement. But it is a question. And he asks this question here saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? is a powerful verse. We should rely on this verse. But but this verse does not say that we shouldn't be mindful of the things around us. It doesn't say we shouldn't be mindful of the sin around us, the sin in the world. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because you're... Ad- Adversary, The devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Paul is saying, God is for you. God is for you, but you should be mindful. We need to be diligent. We need to be watchful. We still need to strap on the armor of God as we face temptation. Because we will continue to face temptations. We will continue to have trials throughout our life. But Paul is building us up. And he's saying, God is powerful. And he is in your corner. He's pulling for you. Matter of fact, Paul is saying that God is the most powerful. The most powerful. That's what he's saying here in the second question of verse 31. There is no one more powerful than God. As a student, something may happen at school and we go to our teacher Teacher then goes to an assistant principal, principal goes, consistent principal goes to a principal, principal may have to go to a superintendent. At work, something may happen, and we go to our manager, the manager may go to a senior manager, senior manager may consult the director, and so on. Paul is reminding us that there is no one more powerful than God. There is no one else that God has to go consult. Who's going to overrule God? If God is for us. Then who can be against us? Paul follows up that statement in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Paul reminds us that we have been given the greatest gift of all in Jesus Christ. We all like gifts. We like to receive gifts. We like to give gifts. If you buy your daughter or your son or your friend, whoever it might be, if you buy someone uh, a gift, we buy our kids several gifts, and and we tell them which ones we want them to open first. We stage them. You stage them because you have specific gifts that you want them to open in a specific order. And we do that because we want them to open the biggest gift. We want them to open that one last. We want them to work up to the biggest surprise. That gift, that last gift, that's the cherry on top. That's the gift that you knew they were wanting. Those first two gifts, they were fun. They were cute. But they weren't the last gift. Last Christmas, we, we had the girls open their Christmas gifts that morning. And after everyone was finished, we told Audrey, there's one more present. And it was hidden in the drawer behind her. We wanted to save the biggest gift for last. The one that would get the biggest smile. That one that would get the biggest reaction. The most excitement. So we saved her car. In the drawer behind her, there was a little, gift, the little box with a car key in it. So we saved that for the very end. The very last. Paul tells us that we've already received the biggest gift. Think about this. God blesses us throughout our life. We are blessed with a wonderful church family. We're blessed with loving spouses. The scripture calls our children blessings from God. And we are blessed to watch them grow and learn and develop. But the biggest gift from God, it's not hidden in a drawer behind us. We aren't waiting to open to open it and we're not waiting to learn what that is because it's already here and Paul reminds us that we've already received the greatest gift of all the death of Jesus Christ you see this is how much God loves us and this specifically is where we find our peace this is the evidence that God is pulling for us he knew we needed a savior and he allowed his son to die for us As Paul Paul points out in the scripture, he did not spare his son. God did not prevent Jesus from going to the cross. He did not intercede when Jesus was put on trial and led to his death. Think about this for a quick minute. As you approach a crosswalk, you reach down and you grab the arm of your child and you, you want to make sure that they don't walk out in harm's way. As you approach stairs, you may also reach down and grab their arm, grab their shoulder, put your <coughs> hand on their back. When you slam on the brakes, what do you do? You stick your arm over there. You're trying to catch someone, a spouse, a child. matter of fact, when we were, when we were going to Eureka a few weeks ago, our bus driver, he slams on his he slams on the brakes of the bus. No one's sitting next to him. You know how the buses were configured? He slams on the brakes and he sticks his arm out. And Katrina said, Hey Chris, you got kids at home? <laughs> we desire to protect our children. God did not stop Jesus from being killed. Sin is a major trial in our life. And we deal with it. And we need to be saved from our sin. We need the ability to be saved, to be forgiven, to be justified. We should find peace knowing that God did not step in and save Jesus. Because God was saving us by not saving Jesus. Jesus is the proof. He is the reason that we can find peace through our tribe. Verse 33 says this. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Not only did God give his only son, but Paul reminds us that it is God who justifies us. It is God who is the ultimate judge. Paul is reminding those that he's addressing that it doesn't matter what charges are brought against you. There is a higher power. No matter what people say about you, there is a higher power. No matter what people think about you, there is a higher power. No matter what people do to you, there is a higher power. And that cannot be taken away from you. Because it is God who judges, it is God who justifies you. And just as we covered a few minutes ago, there is no higher power than God. He goes on in verse 34... And he says, remember Jesus, the one who died so that you could have salvation? He is constantly interceding for you. The verse says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, and who also makes intercession for us. Paul asked this question, who do you think can condemn you? Paul's telling us to stop being so short-sighted. We get caught up on this earthly life that we're living. We get focused on our jobs and how well we're performing or how well we're not performing. We get focused on paying mortgages and rents. We get focused on getting ahead and finding this this financial freedom that people long to have. We get focused, focused on what people think about us and what might happen to us, about who likes us and what they're saying about us. Paul says stop being so narrowly focused. Quit being so narrowly minded. Christ died for you. He is risen. He is sitting at the right hand of God, and He is praying for you. He is interceding for you. Jesus is advocating for you. Paul's going to shift gears a, a little bit in these remaining verses in this chapter. Paul's delivered us some very good news and the, the, the few verses that we've covered so far. Um, but there's going to be a little bit of a shift. And ultimately, what Paul is telling us in verses 35 through 39 is no matter what comes, no matter what you're faced with, God's purpose does not change for you. Romans 8 and 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? This is the main verse that I wanted to highlight this morning uh, that ties to the trials that we face. Paul's telling us that throughout this life, through the heartache, through the difficulties that we face, nothing will alter the purpose of God being played out in our life. No matter what challenges we face, no matter what trials, they, no matter what trials brings us to our knees, nothing will change God's purpose. And he follows that up with examples. And he says, you know, the tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, Paul says they don't matter. He knows we have trials. We're humans, and we create problems, and we have problems, and we create problems for other people. Other people create problems for us. And Paul reminds us that these problems will not separate us from the love of God. The examples that Paul lists here, they're valid concerns, especially to those early Christians. These were the trials that they encountered. We don't necessarily experience all of these today, but we still have our own trials. We have problems. We have bankruptcy. We have health issues. We have car accidents. We have depression. We have bullying. And the list goes on and on. And Paul's telling us that through the problems that we encounter throughout life, God loves you. Paul's telling us that we can find peace throughout our trials because God loves us. Just because we encounter trials throughout our life, those trials... Those trials that we encounter, they are not proof that God doesn't love us. Remember what James told us about trials, that they are unavoidable? We will face trials. And just because we face trials, that is not proof that God does not love us. And in general, people struggle with this. People really struggle understanding this. People often associate their trials to a lack of God's love. For example, I'm having marriage issues. God must not love me. I didn't get that promotion. God, he just wasn't with me today. I had a miscarriage. Why does God not love me? My children are so disobedient. Why does God not love me? I was in a horrible car accident. Why did God let this happen to me? God does not punish us by placing trials in our lives, And sometimes we struggle understanding this. Paul must have seen a reason to tell this group of of young Christians uh, this and, and pass on this message to them. Probably, probably because they were struggling with it. And they had questions about it. We get so self-centered that we struggle realizing that God loves us. And we ask ourselves, why would God love me? And we struggle with this because we know ourselves. We know the things we say. We know the things we do. We know the things that we think. And then we question, why would God ever love this? Why would he love me? The problem is that we try to connect being loved to being worthy of being loved. And we aren't worthy of God's love. We don't deserve it. We aren't worthy. And we'll never be worthy. But that's where Jesus comes into play. Just a few verses ago we discussed that God did not spare his son. He allowed his son to be our sacrifice. We aren't worthy of God's love because of anything that we did. But God has found us worthy of his love through the blood shed by his son, Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus who now intercedes on our behalf. And it's Jesus who is now advocating for us to God. The early Christians had their share of trials, and we have our share of trials. And although those trials, they... We're different in many ways. We have something in common. We have Jesus Christ. So when the scripture reads and says that nothing will separate us from God's love, then we need to start believing that. Because when we, when we question that love, we are questioning the purpose of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Move on to verse 37. Yet in all these things, he is referring to the list of trials that he just discussed Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul's reminds us that God uses these trials and we, we encounter, uh, that we encounter to strengthen us, to grow us. Paul says that we're not just conquerors. You're more. You're more than conquerors. We faced a trial and we conquered it. You overcame it. We will face more trials and we can conquer them also. Oftentimes we look back on a trial that we overcame and we know we are absolutely confident that we are stronger today because we faced and we overcame that trial. Going through that trial it wasn't pleasant and I'm not saying that any of us would want to do it again but you can look back at that trial and you can see how you're better and you're stronger today and what you see is growth. You see development. You see spiritual maturity And you're a better person today and you have a stronger relationship with God. Proverbs 24 and 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. You've learned through your trials that you can get up again. You've learned through your trials that your faith has increased and that there's a greater benefit of going through that trial and those difficulties than what you encountered. There's a greater benefit. And as Paul says, we aren't just conquerors. You're not just conquerors. You are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The last two verses of this chapter say, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul tells us here that there is nothing, that nothing will separate us from the love that God has for us. Now to be clear, we can turn our back and we can fall from grace. We can turn our back on God. In 2 Peter uh, 2, in verse 20, we are warned that after becoming Christian, if we turn back to our own ways and we become entangled in sin, then our fate will be worse than it would have been if we had never turned to righteousness. You most certainly can fall from grace. You can turn your back on on God and you can return back to that old lifestyle. And unless you repent then you have separated yourself from God. But for the Christian, Paul speaking here to the Christian, but for the Christian, Paul concludes the chapter by telling us that as we live in Christ Jesus, nothing will separate us from God's love. And to be crystal clear, Paul attempts to be very specific as he talks about life or death, saying that there is no crisis in our life. He says, angels, principalities, powers, saying that there is no higher power, present or to come, so that's all encompassing of time that we know it. Nor height, nor depth, so that's all encompassing in relation to size. All other created thing. And just to be sure that he didn't miss anything, he throws this in there as well. He adds an all inclusive statement, says, nor any other created thing. The beginning of Romans chapter 8 says that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And the chapter concludes saying that there is no separation from the love of God. So as we conclude our study this morning and we've read about the love of God, we are still faced with a dilemma from time to time as we question, does God love me? I go through so many trials. Why does God allow this to happen to me? Does God really love me? Does he love me? And in general, I think that we all believe that God loves us. But from time to time, doubt creeps in and we wonder, does God love me right now? Because I don't feel very loved. Sometimes we face trials in various situations that life throws at us and we feel isolated and we feel alone. And it's hard. And we allow our mind to wonder and we start to question the things of this life. So how confident are you that God loves you? Do you think that God is disappointed in you? Do you think that he is angry with you? Do you think he punishes you through trials? Have you convinced yourself that God is not pleased with your life? Growing up, my mom was my personal chauffeur. I know many of you can relate to this now as parents, as you feel like you are driving your children everywhere. School events, activities, practices, parties, sleepovers. You are the chauffeur to, their, to your kids living their best life. So you remember all those activities that your mom drove you to and making sure that you arrived on time with a clean uniform and a jug full of water ready for practice, ready for that event, ready for that party at your friend's house. So we would be driving to ball practice, and a song would come on, and I'd enjoy the song, and then I'd say, "Hey, Mom, did you just hear that song? It's a new song. It's a really cool song. It's really cool lyrics. Got a cool beat. Everyone's singing it at school. This is the popular song." And she would reply, and she'd say, "I didn't hear it. How'd you not hear it?" It was just on the radio. And she'd say, I wasn't paying attention and I didn't hear that song. And I didn't understand that. The music was playing. I did not understand how she did not hear it and enjoy it. So as I've grown older, I've realized that I've inherited something from my mom. Music can be playing in the background. The radio can be on. I can have earbuds in with the intent to be listening to music, and I don't hear a thing. Sometimes I'll hear the end of a song, and I'll have to replay it because I missed the whole thing. And the most common time that I have earbuds in listening or attempting to listen is whenever um, I'm mowing. Mowing our place takes about five hours to start to, to finish, And so it's a little bit of a time that you try to occupy yourself somehow, so I'll throw earbuds in. And I spend most of my time completely tuning out the music that's playing. I spend a lot of time in my head thinking and planning. Thinking of the things I have going on this week, things I have upcoming next week, figuring out how I'm going to save for that upcoming expense, thinking about my children and their ongoing activities, and do they have what they need, thinking about church and upcoming sermons and upcoming events and the visitors that we've had over the course of 5 hours I'll run through a whole assortment of things in my head and one of the things I often question is god happy with me am i doing enough would he be pleased with me as a father as a husband as a servant as a child Do I do the right things? Do I say the right things? Do I think the right things? So when I ask you the question, do you question God's love for you? Do you question if God is happy with you? Do you question if God is pleased with your action or how things turned out in your life? I get it. Because I do some of that too. But I find peace knowing that God did not spare his son. And I know that he did that for me. And I find peace through prayer. And I find peace through studying God's word. And I find peace in scriptures like we studied this morning in Romans 8. So as you question the decisions that you've made and the trials that you've struggled with, the temptation that you're constantly fighting, find peace in Romans 8 and 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Find peace in John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is rooting for you. And if he wasn't, he would have never set in motion the plan of salvation through the death, burial, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. But if you don't know Jesus and you have not had your, sin washed away, your sins washed away through baptism then you are separated from God. But you can know Him. You can have all the gifts and, and blessings that we've talked about this morning. You can find peace, and you can find that peace this morning. When you put on the blood of Christ and you're buried with Him through baptism, you're raised up again and put on a newness of life. A new life. One that where you can be forgiven. A new life where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God advocating for you. Find peace in knowing that God has already given us the best gift of all. It's not in a drawer behind us. It's already ours to freely have. If you are not experienced that wonderful gift of Jesus this morning, then we encourage you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We're going to end this morning with an imitation song. If you desire the prayers of the church, then we'd be happy to pray with you. And for you, and if you'd like to be baptized, then we invite you to come forward as we stand in the missing.